morning, everybody. Come up here a little bit closer. Okay, so thanks for having me up here. Uh, our text for today is uh, Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 1 through 11. And uh, I'm going to pray too before we jump in here. So, uh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to explore, explore your divine word, Lord. Uh, you know I don't have things all figured out, Lord, and uh, um, that uh, some of these things I'll be talking about today uh, are things that uh, Colleen and I have struggled with. And uh, Lord, we just I just pray that uh, I don't come off as um, like sounding like I know it all and uh, that uh, or condemning in any way, Lord, that you would just be glorified through this uh, passage. And uh, Lord, I pray that the uh, words would fall on the ears that... Uh, are open to hear and the eyes that want to see. Lord, I pray that uh, this will help us as we go throughout our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, um, passage. As uh, Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks, what, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and he'll return it soon. The two dis- disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that, untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing in the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he re- returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Uh, so we find this uh, version in all four Gospels, or this uh, passage in all four Gospels. And I'm going to work through Mark in reverse today um, because I want to focus in on uh, verses 1 through 6. And uh, I need verses 7 to 10 to give the background picture. And I really see uh, verse 11 uh, as a setup for next week and coming events. Um, so when we look at all, these, all the Gospels together, we get a full picture of the, the um, climate surrounding this event. Um, when we look at John's account, it focuses in on the news of Lazarus raising uh, and uh, finishes off with the plot of leading priests to kill both him and uh, Lazarus and Jesus. Uh, it ends with the Pharisees uh, realizing that Jesus' movement is bigger than they thought. And uh, Luke reinforces Mark and Matthew and adds comments similar to John about the Pharisees' dismay about the movement, and they confront Jesus as he, as he is approaching Jerusalem. Unique to the book of Mark is uh, verse 11. A weary Jesus uh, arriving at the temple after surveying everything, he leaves the city. If I read this correctly, I believe that Jeff's angry Jesus uh, from last week there, a couple weeks ago, is applicable at this point. Um, and quite possibly he's thinking, 
I'll be back. <laughs> uh, like I said, this kind of leads up or fits better with the coming events than what we're going to focus in on today. But uh, when we compile these comp- passages, we can see why Jesus would be weary. Uh, he's just gotten through a very diverse crowd, uh, as we see in 7 to 10, and likely he's felt the thoughts of many of those that would uh, participate in the cruel events that he's about to, that he knows are eminent. So as we've tracked through the book of Mark, we've read that there are vastly different opinions of Jesus. Again, with the excerpts from the other accounts, we can round out verses 7 to 10. Uh, Who was there participating, watching, listening? Just what were people saying? What were they hearing? Uh, Praise God. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the kingdom of David. Luke says says they were shouting affirmations about miracles. And John uh, concurs, he says, coming out because they had heard about the miracles and the the people that had witnessed them were there shouting about it. They started saying, hail, king of Israel, Hosanna to the son of David. That's save now, son of David. And And identifying Jesus as the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee, Some commentaries have said that the same crowd looking for salvation and a new king was the same mob that later later called for his crucifixion. However, I think that's far too narrow an idea. There's a lot of different viewpoints here, and everybody has way too too broad a brushstroke. This takes place over Passover, which is a time of pilgrimage where thousands of people travel great distances to the holy city, Jerusalem, and they still do to this day. We know that disciples were there. Matthew adds that there was a great multitude of followers traveling along with them. These were the next closest followers to the 12. These were the people from regions where miracles were performed and where the teachings were done. And as they came in from the countryside, they were likely the ones cutting the palms to lay out in front of our Lord and loudly spreading the news in front and behind. And the news swept through the city where there were foreigners and pilgrims from all over, and of course, Jerusalemites. John adds that all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, and they flocked to see him and Lazarus, deserting the religious leaders. And that's when the leaders, with a heart of jealousy and fear of loss, decided to kill them both. John quotes the Pharisees saying, Is there nothing we can do? Look, everybody has gone after him. And Luke adds, the Pharisees actually coming up to the donkey and telling Jesus, rebuke your followers for saying such things. And Jesus knows that the people think that he's coming to overthrow the establishment. He knows they're missing the nature of his kingdom. And we see that in many of the verses uh, that lead up to uh, this, this point in time. He's, his parables are often about uh, end in because they didn't see or begin with something to that effect. Um, uh, And they missed the significance of the donkey even, uh, as as prophesied in Zechariah 9, verse 9. And so his reply to the Pharisee is almost comical, saying, I tell you, if if they kept quiet, the very stones would cry out. John also mentions Zechariah. And Matthew goes so far as to add a footnote in honesty saying, yeah, we didn't get this at the time. Um, And of course, the Romans were there too. 
Uh, Passover was historically a time when the Romans would watch closely for signs of disobedience. Uh, it took and took opportunities to spy and gather information on what was go- happening in the, with the Jews, and particularly this new rebel group claiming that they are following the king of the Jews. So that's the backdrop to this passage. Certainly we can agree that we're, we've been looking at, uh, that by what we've been looking at in the book of Mark, that the world is moving to a new future, a new hope, and a new orientation. And we've just taken a quick read through the state of establishments of the time, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Romans, and even the enthusiastic but misintentioned followers of Jesus. And by the contents of the Gospels, uh, we can also understand the risks and destabilizing factors that, that, as perceived by all these different parties. We also get a glimpse of how anxieties are affecting the, uh, decision, the decision-making judgment, and actions. Um, uh, So for the next 10 minutes, I'd uh, like to look at where this passage starts, um, or rather the who. Uh, Jesus sending two of the 12 out to fetch the means by which he will fulfill his prophetic grand entrance. Uh, We don't know who these two are. There's there's speculation, but we don't know exactly who they are. Some of the apostles didn't get mentioned very much, a whole lot, uh, and uh, they didn't get fancy names, uh, so it was possibly it was a couple of them. Now, if we remember way back in Numbers uh, 22, we see God sending angels to make a donkey do all kinds of things. Turns off into a field, runs up against a wall, lays down, all very, very annoying if you're the rider. Uh, he even made the animal talk. So why didn't Jesus just summon the donkey? Why didn't, why didn't he just summon the donkey? Uh, God, Jesus, is ascending God. Uh, all through scripture, we see him trusting us in order to fulfill his purposes. So let's have a look at our two donkey wranglers. History shows us that the disciples' reaction to Jesus' promptings aren't always glorious. And here we see Mark hasn't used the term immediately that we've seen in the past in, the, in his book. And I wonder what they are thinking at this point. Jesus calling them to go get the colt. Yeah. Uh, Next slide. Why not? Jesus calling on them to go get the the colt. And the disciples thinking, yeah, no problem. Go take something that doesn't belong to us in reply. Then Jesus reassuring. Can I get the next slide? Then Jesus reassuring them. Uh, if they ask, just tell them that your Lord needs it, and it'll, be, it'll come back. And their response, sure, we'll just go collect that right up. If anybody asks us, we'll just say the magic words, our Lord needs it. There's no way this could possibly go sideways. You're not from Galilee, are you? You're not with that Jesus character, are you? That colt's never been ridden. What makes you think you can ride it? Or even worse, stop, thieves. These are the what-ifs that they were possibly could have been going through. And it's, uh, it's common for, I know for, for me, to go through these same things when presented with a, with a, a challenge. Uh, we see other interesting reactions like this throughout Scripture. We see, uh, Adam, I'm trusting all creation to you. Just don't mess with that tree. Uh, and then blame comes back. Uh, that woman that you gave me made me do it. 
Moses, lead my people. Negative self-image. I'm not worthy. It's not my strength. Fine, take Aaron with you. Thus leading to the, uh, the yoke of rules and of the religious establishment that Jesus is now coming to intervene. And these are just a couple examples of the behaviors that us fallen image bearers struggle with from the beginning right up to the present. And it is normal. But when we lose sight of who we serve, Jesus, and we aren't constantly dependent on the Holy Spirit, we begin to rely on ourselves. And uh, we fall back into a regressive straight state And in one way or another, we get distracted. Jesus calls. Really me, Lord? Jesus calls again. Let me check my schedule or I'm busy. Uh, His call. Oh, Lord, uh, let me get ready to get ready. Uh, Calls again. This is harder than expected. Maybe it's a closing door. Maybe I should just slam this door shut. Do you recognize this cycle? This is uh, what's called a doom loop. Uh, This construct is part of the workshops that we'll be sharing in Argentina. Uh, It's designed to flesh out vitality in churches or challenges in churches and enable them to have compassionate, Christ-honoring conversation about what it means to get along as a fellowship of believers and what it means to be healthy and missional. Uh, The ECC uh, has had other larger denominations come come forward to us saying, hey, we see the value of this this uh, system. We've been in this loop for 60 years, and it's killing us. Um, Now, people are made up of, uh, churches are made up of people, and they're all working out of one or more of these default behaviors, imperfect people, imperfect situations, etc. And God is one of action. He is moving forward with or without us. Uh, Where this really comes to bite us is when the constantly changing world leaves us behind in that safe, stable circle. And, our, and while we're playing it safe, our influence dim- diminishes, our witness shrinks. And Jeff touched on this last, white, last week. We start to feel distracted or disfa- dissatisfied or too satisfied, and we can move into a back- backward spiral. Now, in Argentina, they actually renamed this loop the curse loop. Um, So, this is still God's good creation, and he's at work everywhere, in our communities, in our churches, in our homes, in our hearts, in our work, in our minds, and we can take comfort that the Lord is alive and well, and that his spirit is within us. So how do we respond to the call, the sending, the mission of our Lord, the Missio Dei, joining God where he's already at work? A few weeks ago, Jeff had a high-five sermon, and he talked about where compassion, mercy, and justice, the good things of the Spirit, are being pursued. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working, and we should celebrate that and join with it. And if you're not familiar with the term Missio Dei, uh, go ahead and Google it, just not right now. And uh, they've got a, Wiki does a great explanation on it, um, but I encourage you to have a look at that and just, just contemplate it a bit. So how does a breakout moment occur? How do we break out of this, this loop, this circle, and this backward spiral for, at, at some time? Uh, often, it's, often it's when the pain of unchange exceeds the pain of change. 
or by the fear of missing out. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm missing, but I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know if anybody has ever felt that before, but uh, it's not a fun place to be uh, when you start to really have a good, deep look at it and wrestle with the Lord. For Colleen and I, it was a number of these things. Our breakout moment was when we realized that we had denied the call a number of times. We started saying things like our self-talk became, hey, we're making a lot of excuses here. Are we hoarding the blessings that, we're, that we've been given? Are some of these things actually blessings? Are we, are, are we distorting them into distractions? We realized that maybe we should loosen our grip on, t- on our time and offer up to the one who gave to us in the first place. We didn't think of ourselves as holding on to things too tightly or to stuff too tightly. But my friends, this is what propelled us into a very real, tangible encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of the markers were a great peace in the face of radical change. Um, a rapid succession of opportunities that left us craving uh, less of us, Lord, more of you. A great joy as we in- embrace the change as well as its challenges. And a feeling of purpose unparalleled in our previous life. Once we experienced this, we didn't need to seek after grand miracles. We were actually feeling it. Uh, Colleen and I have been uh, flying around uh, a lot lately, and it reminds me of a great analogy about this breakout period. Um, Prior to the sound barrier being broken, many planes and pilots were lost by playing it safe. As they approached the 1,235-kilometer barrier, the plane would start shaking violently, and the pilots, out of fear, would throttle back. And once they did this, it it would... send the plane into even more violent shake, and it often would lead to catastrophic failure. Then in 1953, Chuck Yeager comes along, the first pilot to actually embrace the shake um, to, uh, to power up instead of throttling off and to push through the difficulties. Uh, once he did that, once he exceeded that 1,235-kilometer mark, that magic number, his flight smoothed right out, and history was made, donning the uh, modern jet age. So we've gone from donkeys to jets. How does this apply to our passage today? Well, for our two disciples, they had the privilege of participating in history. Had they failed to launch, they would have not only, they they wouldn't have been able to participate in history. They would have only witnessed it. Uh, Scripture doesn't tell us who these two are but their actions reveal that they had childlike faith and that they were servants responding to the call. Maybe this lack of identification means that they were the least of the disciples. Maybe they're getting it after all. And as I said earlier, I don't have it all figured out. But for for today, this is a point to ponder. Something to pray about this week. I'd even suggest uh, some, if you have reflective time, to maybe look through, look at Romans 12. That's a good verse to look through for reflection. And uh, maybe James 1. Um, And just have a look at that this week. And you may be seeing something in this loop here. You may be recognize your marriage here. 
or your business or your work or your relationship with your family or adult kids? What loop are you in? And realize that change is constant. Once we arrive at the future, our new hope, it's, uh, we can get stuck there too and end up back into the safety loop. And as we've explored this, this passage, we can see that individuals have different ideas of the future. It's not always agreeable. It's not always comfortable. Jesus himself went to the cross a man. He asked himself, or he asked, take this cup from me. He struggled with sacrificing everything for our new hope. And as we read here, as we're going to read, he's moving into some very unhappy days. I'm glad he didn't run. And so as we wrap up, I have one question for you. X marks the spot. Where do you see yourself in these situations that you're facing right now? Thank you.